0: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash crime. That's Amazon.com slash crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Her mom's freaking
1: out. I mean, obviously, she doesn't know where her kid is. And they just want to know where they are. And they told me that they're getting a hold of all of her friends, and nobody knows where she is. Okay. Which so that's completely understandable. She should be upset. Everybody
0: makes mistakes. Mistake or not, the death of Adrienne Reynolds shocked our area in the early 2000s. It's a tragic ending to a girl just caught up in other people's web, though she trusted and perhaps loved in some sense of the word. Tribune Audio Network.
1: The crimes that made your skin crawl. The missing faces you just couldn't get out of your head. The questions that never got answered. Missing and Murdered in the Midwest dives deep into these unforgettable cases, solved and unsolved. This content is not for the faint of heart. And now, here's your host, Toria Wilson.
0: Now, before we get to what happened in 2005, there are three key players you need to know to grasp what happened. For Adrienne, coming here from Texas at the age of 16, not the most ideal plan, but the only one that worked for her family situation. She had been living with her mother in Texas at the time, but in November of 2004, just two months after hitting her sweet 16, she arrived, bags in tow, to her father and stepmother's house. There are reports that her and her mother were not getting along, she was smoking pot, and actually went to a rehab center at one point. Her stepmother says that when she arrived, she had no high school credits to her name. She didn't like school, and she definitely did not like the homework. She was more focused on her social life and wanting to be everyone's friend. Adrian's time in the Quad Cities began at Black Hawk College's Outreach Center. An alternative high school aimed at helping teens who struggled with the traditional school setting and shortly after arriving adrian and corey gregory locked eyes in an interview with NBC years ago corey was described as a good student and a fun living kid in an exclusive interview with chris minor before his trial back then you can hear how soft-spoken he is he doesn't seem Boisterous, a kind of guy that more people watches than tries to stand out in a crowd. In high school, he says he had fallen in love with pot, heavy metal, and, of course, Sarah Kolb. Sarah had grown up as a military kid and traveled all over the world. And in 2005, she just wanted to find her own identity. At the time, the popular music to listen to was a, the Insane Clown Posse. She was a self-described juggalette, Who was a leader for a small group of outcasts. Her look, prior to her now infamous mugshot, shows a girl with a pierced lip, an eyebrow double pierced, her hair is short and dark brown. Truthfully, I don't think she looks any different from anyone else I knew at that age, but for Adrian's father, his first impression of her was a thug and a freak. But for Cory, though, she was perfect. They met at the mall, smoked weed, and then sort of latched onto each other, or maybe he latched on to her. See, Sarah, from articles I had read, and even from Corey's interview, is that she was kind of controlling, but it didn't bother him. And even after a few weeks of dating, they broke up, but continued to be inseparable. That didn't stop Corey's feelings, though. Writing one letter to her, quote, I love you. I have since I first laid eyes on you. You are all that I think about. You are the only one I felt I could speak my emotions. And I want you to know I'll always be that for you. End quote. So now you know the three Sarah, Corey, and Adrian. Adrian joined their little group shortly after arriving to East Moline. Besides Corey and Adrian becoming friends, Sarah seemingly developed kind of a crush on Adrian. Coria stated that while Sarah was bisexual, Adrian was bi-curious. In one note that the two girls had passed to each other, Adrian asked Sarah, what is the most you've ever done with a girl? Are you bisexual or straight lesbian? And in that letter, Adrian implied that she was in fact bi. Sometime after that, though, the relationship changed. Sarah reported by other friends of Adrian that Sarah had grown tired of her. Others say Adrian enraged Sarah when she asked Corey out, and this happened just weeks before the crime. For Adrian's father, he admitted in one report that things seemed fine with his daughter on the night of January twentieth, two 2005. But after school, Adrian did not come home to change into her uniform for work. Her father says she would never not come home. He and his wife didn't call the fast food shop but drove up immediately and found Adrian was not there. At 8 o'clock that night, they finally called police, and officers originally thought that she was a runaway. But her parents note Adrienne did not pack any belongings and not picked up her paycheck from work. Adrian's friends later told police she left school that day to grab lunch at Taco Bell with Sarah, Corey, and another guy, a kid named Sean. This next audio you will hear is from Sarah Kolb herself. I requested copies of these phone conversations, which took place between January 20th and January 22nd, 2005, between three separate East Moline police officers. Just trying to find Adrian, who at this point is already dead, unbeknownst to them.
2: Hello, is this Sarah? Yes, it is. This is Officer Allen, East Moline Police Department. Hi. Are you friends with Adrian Reynolds? Well, to be honest, no. contact with her today. Yes, I did. Uh, when was that? Uh in
1: between twelve thirty and one o'clock.
2: I mean, Were you and Corey giving her a ride somewhere? Yes. And you dropped her off at McDonald's or something like that? Yes, sir. Okay, why?
1: Because she said that she didn't want her parents to see that she was in a car with a
0: boy. Another call with police though would give a different story. Talking to this officer Sarah explained that Adrian was going on and on about having sex with men and had begged Sarah to help her change. But it led to an argument where Adrian called Sarah a slut back. I'll
1: be honest with you, I hit her. Okay.
2: She hit me back.
1: Okay. And all props to her, she hit me pretty hard, too. But the point is, we got into, it was like we...
2: While you were driving? No,
1: no, 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 we were not driving. Where were you at then? Uh, We went, we are gonna go to Taco Bell to eat so
2: I get that half
1: pound whatever
2: Right.
1: and I pulled in the parking lot to talk to her about it because I was pretty upset this about the it
2: McDonald's parking
1: lot you were at? No, Taco Bell
2: Okay.
1: and that's where all this happened I hit her she hit me back uh, my friend got out of the car and he walked back to the school and Cory was like just,
2: just he didn't
1: want to be a part of it
2: and so Cory got out of Taco Bell? no, no, no Sean did. Sean was with us.
0: later says that the fight between Sarah and Adrian moved to the back seat of the car. Sarah begins beating Adrian with a wooden stick when she climbs on top of Adrian. Corey holds Adrian's arms back. Sarah then begins to choke her until she stops moving. Corey says that he and Sarah sat there and smoked a cigarette, thinking that Adrian was just passed out. And little did they know, she was dead. Once they finally realized that they had killed Adrian, they begin to panic. But instead of calling for help, Corey says that his love and devotion to Sarah and the thought of her spending the rest of her life in jail stopped him. Corey helps Sarah carry Adrian's body to the trunk of the car. Mind you, it is broad daylight in a January afternoon. They skip the rest of school and drive to Alito, Illinois, to Sarah's grandparents' farm. Corey says that the plan was to bury Adrian's body, but the ground was frozen. So they moved on to Plan B. Corey says he poured gasoline on Adrian's body. He then lit a butane lighter and threw it on her. Sarah and Corey then watched with Sarah's head on Corey's shoulder. Plan B, though, wasn't working. Adrian's body wasn't burning like the two had thought it would. Corey says he thought it would be kind of like a cremation, so the plan changed again. Sarah decided that the body needed to be moved off the land, and they had to cut it up. Corey says that lighting a dead body on fire, he could do, but cutting up one? No way. So they called a third person, 16-year-old Nate Goddett. Corey describes him as a kid who loved blood and gore, but should that define someone to be in charge of cutting up a body? For Sarah and Corey, yeah, that was the answer. Nate later described when taking the stand in the Sarah Cold trial that he used his grandfather's handsaw to cut up Adrian. First, he said he cut off the head at the neck, and then the arm at the shoulders. Next, it was the legs and the torso which was cut in half. Nate also stated it was Sarah's idea to hide the body parts in separate places. The head and the arms were dropped down a manhole at Blackhawk State Historic Park because, according to Nate, Sarah was concerned about dental records and fingerprints. The rest of the remains stayed on the Alito farm. It didn't take long, though, for police to catch up. Officers are obviously confused and frustrated, and they just wanted answers. Where the hell did the 16-year-old go? Sarah, in these recorded conversations, is saying one thing, while Corey is saying nothing. And when officers ask him about that fight in the car, he says there was no fight. The two girls had made up, and everything was fine.
2: The key is to not lie because that's how we got here in the first place. Right. What did you mean by that? Well, the story the the story that I well, like I just talked to uh, Corey. Yeah. And Corey claims she has no idea what you guys were arguing about. And that nothing happened. You guys made up and that uh make up, she then that she just requested to be let out of McDonald's and nothing else happened. I didn't hear anything about Sean, I didn't yes, hear anything. Because I didn't hear anything about a hit. I didn't hear anything about what the actual argument was about, which is all important. It may not be important to you or to him, but it is important. Okay. I'm but he's holding back because he doesn't want to tell me everything.
1: No, he's, he's holding back because I told him not to say anything.
2: That's right. Well, I don't want him to be a part of it because he's not. Hence how we got where we're at. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I see exactly what you're saying. All right. because I, I, I can tell that one is lying and now now I don't know who is. Says that he's not, but you just said that you told him to say that. You see, you see why I would think that there's something wrong? Yes. Are, are you picking up what I'm saying? It's just all right. Think of it this way. I'm taking.
1: I get in an argument with a girl. Right. Get physical, and then she disappears.
2: Exactly. That's that's the problem. But 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 the real problem is is why would you hide it in the first place? If there really wasn't I, a problem, well well some of this is new information. I mean. Yeah.
1: Do you know what I'm saying? I mean really you didn't hide it, it to me sad. right now. It didn't really need to be said. They never asked me, you know, what happened? They asked me, Do you know where she is? I have no idea where she
0: is. Four days after Adrian was reported missing, Corey leads authorities down a steep, icy path. Under a pile of dirt, police find that manhole cover. And several feet below, the bag with some of Adrian's remains. The next morning, Corey leads police to the Alito farm. Where Adrian's body had been burned and where her other remains had been hidden. That Thursday, nearly a week after being reported missing, Corey and Sarah were arrested for Adrian's death and dismemberment. In September of 2005, Sarah was the first to go on trial. It was two weeks of testimony with Sarah taking the stand, and Sarah claimed on the day of Adrian's death, Adrian had confided in Sarah that she didn't have any girlfriends and that all the guys wanted was sex. Adrian pleaded with Sarah for a renewed friendship, and on the way to Taco Bell, the two had made up, Sarah says. But the conversation, as they parked, turned. Sarah claimed Adrian began to talk about another boy that she liked, but came off smug, and she thought Adrian was trying to make her mad. Sarah admits to grabbing Adrian by the arm says Adrian then curled up in a fetal position and began to cry. Sarah says she let go and felt bad after that. They continued to talk. All the while, Corey was in the back seat. When the conversation changed to the topic about men and sex, this is when, according to Sarah, Corey snapped, reaching around from the back seat and grabbed Adrian by the neck. As Adrian tried to get out of the car, Sarah says Corey yanked her into the back seat. She says that she was startled by Corey's rage and outburst and tried to stop him, yelling at him and pushing him away, but nothing worked. Corey even hit Sarah in the face, Sarah claimed. She says she also saw Adrian take her last breath, and when it happened, Corey kept repeating, she's dead in a matter-of-fact tone. So on the stand... Sarah portrayed herself as a scared teenager who witnessed a murder and was not a willing participant. But she says she was so afraid of Corey, she stayed in his house the night after the murder and that Corey and Nate cracked jokes while cutting up the body. But you've got to remind yourself that this, this whole case is about a person. It was hard to bring that into your mind when the pictures during the trial show pieces of blue tarp burnt onto the head, hands curled in a near-like claw positions, internal organs exposed, earrings still in. And proof doesn't lie. In a diary that Sarah kept for her English class, she wrote on the day of the murder that she was going to kill Adrian. When the case finally went to the jury, though, it took jurors 15 hours, but they were unable to reach a unanimous verdict on any of the three charges that she faced. One juror wanted acquittal, while the other 11 were in favor of conviction. It was after this case that Corey came out swinging, documented in the exclusive interview with veteran News 8 reporter Chris Miner, an in-jail interview with Corey and his lawyer. Did you have any reason to kill Adrian Reynolds?
3: No, I had no reason to kill Adrian. I did not kill Adrian. I You liked Adrian didn't you? I was friends with Adrian.
0: So so you're saying Sarah is out and out. She told a big lie to the jury.
3: Yeah she completely lied to the jury. She just made up this big story just to make her sound much better than she really is. Why
0: should I believe you?
3: I don't I can't tell you why you should believe me really. You know I'm I'm just trying to get the real facts out there, you know. I don't want, I don't want the family to have to go through more stuff than they already have to. They need, they they have the right to know what's going to happen, what really happened. I feel terrible about what happened, you know. I have to live with that all my life that this this poor girl died, you know. She died, and she should she shouldn't be dead. She should be at home with her family.
0: At Sarah's retrial, held in February of 2006, she was convicted on all counts. She received a total of 53 years in prison for murder and concealment. She first served her time at the Dwight and later the Logan Correctional Center. Corey pleaded guilty to all the charges against him. On July 10, 2006, he was sentenced to 45 years in prison, serving his time at Menard and later Stateville Correctional Center. Nathan Gaudet was also charged with concealment for helping to dismember Adrian. He pled guilty, but was sentenced as a juvenile and spent five years in juvenile detention. He was released after serving four years on November 11, 2008. This case, while closed, has not gone cold in the slightest. Godet moved away from the Quad Cities once released from juvenile detention on his 20th birthday. He died in 2012 in a fiery crash in southern Indiana. Police say the accident occurred when the men's truck struck a tree on a rural roadway. Two others died, along with Gaudette. Corey, on the other hand, may get out sooner than expected. In 2006, Corey claimed in a handwritten petition for post-conviction relief that his 45-year prison sentence is unconstitutional because he was 17 at the time of the offense. He pointed to a 2012 U.S. Supreme Court ruling that determined that a mandatory sentence of life without parole for juvenile offenders is unconstitutional and they cannot automatically be punished the same as an adult without considering their age or other factors. Corey also claimed his sentence was excessive and that if he were to complete his sentence, he would get out shy of his 60th birthday where he could no longer be able to gain employment or other useful ways of citizenship outside of prison. On May 6th, 2019, based on Illinois court records, the court found based on the Supreme Court decision that, yeah, Corey is entitled to a new sentencing hearing. And per his attorney that I spoke with in May, his sentence has now been vacated. The state had 30 days to file an appeal, and as of July 2019, they had, according to court records. Sarah could be in the same boat. Per her former attorney, which is Corey's current one, who I spoke with, she has filed a similar petition. So the courts could do the same for her, but her former attorney says that the court has to weigh different deciding factors. In the meantime, a GoFundMe page was created on behalf of Corey, asking for donations for him to write a book. In part, the post writes that he spent his life writing books and is asking for $3,000 to publish and advertise his novel. Quote, This is the only passion I have left in this world, and I hope to see it actualized. This could change my life forever. End quote. Adrian's mother, Joanna, says that this is just a daily reminder of what happened. I'm begging the um, community, please do not donate to it, in the, to respect Adrian. I'm just begging, please don't do this. Respect Adrian's wishes. It's a heartbreaking plea from a family stuck in the aftermath of this crime.